Gospel according to John. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you of what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mom, if atoms had eyes, could they see subatomic particles? That's what Jenny Martyr's seven-year-old son asked her one day while he was drawing a picture. And she wrote in her article this week in the New York Times about how children learn about space and distance and scale. And all throughout her article, she sprinkled links to various videos that depicted these differences. Differences of the, the different size of planets, the different size of, of animals and even the different sizes of fictitious spaceships. And I gotta admit, I was pretty fascinated as I spent a little time reviewing some of those videos. One in particular really caught my eye. It was 
a group of scientifically-minded friends who decided that they would build a scale model of our solar system. And they decided they needed space to do that, obviously, and so they went out and took up seven miles of desert, uh, of dry lake bed in the, in the Nevada desert. And it was built like this. If, they, if the sun would be a, a ball about one meter in size, so that's a, a, sun, a ball about this big, then the earth would be the size of a marble and would be spaced about a tenth of a mile away from the sun, 580 feet. And Mars would be 880 feet away. And then Neptune, which is on the outer rim of our solar system, was, had, had to be spaced three miles further distance from Earth, and it was the size of a tennis ball. Mind explosion. It was fascinating to watch them do this. But it's hard to understand. One scientist was commenting about children and learning, saying one reason children develop misconceptions about size and scale and distance is that they are trying to make sense of things they do not have the experience to understand. Puzzled, they try to build an understanding from whatever experience they do have, whether or not the experience applies. Bingo. Now you're talking my language. Theology. The asking questions about God. When we ask that question, who is God, our answers cover the waterfront. There are all kinds of different answers that are given to that. And I think sometimes we develop misconceptions about who God is because either we don't have the experience to understand it or our experiences don't really apply. And all throughout history, the church has tried to help by offering explanations. And today, we celebrate one of them. It's Holy Trinity Sunday. Holy, 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 we sing God in three persons, blessed Trinity. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But I'm really not sure that we have a good way to explain all that. It's been tried many times. The Irish used to teach about the shamrock. Three petals, but one shamrock. The early Christians would talk about the root, the shoot, and the fruit of a plant. And I've tried by using water, ice, and steam. But still, it's hard to understand that this mystery. But I do think that we would like to be able to explain it. We would like to understand it because we are people who like answers a whole lot more 
then we revel in mystery. And yet the truth is, deep down I think we know that as hard as we might try to explain it, God is beyond anything that we might use to understand God. God is not going to be boxed up by simple human language. The psalmist tells us there is no other like God. Awesome, tremendous, holy beyond all holiness. And certainly this is the way the Hebrew people understood God. So holy, so mysterious, that they would not allow the name of God to be written or spoken. And so when you go through the parts of the Old Testament and you see the word L-O-R-D written in all caps, like it is in, in, the, in the Isaiah passage for today, that word Lord in all caps is a creative name for God that the writer would use to describe God rather than using God's true name. And when we think about that, isn't that the kind of God that we want? We don't need any average, everyday, run-of-the-mill God. We need a God who is high and lofty and lifted up, whose, whose power and glory fills and shakes the temple and fills the whole world, like Isaiah says. We need a God who blows our minds. Because if we don't have that kind of God, then we can make God to be anything we want. And folks, the fact is, that really wouldn't be much of a God. But, having said all of that, what are you going to do? with a God who is so lofty and high and mighty, so far above and beyond us. How are you going to relate to a God like that except by being scared? Like Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm doomed. When what we really need is a God who will answer our prayer. Oh God, I'm not sure I can get through the week. Please help me. God is holy. But does God care? Hopefully, we get the answer to that question in what Jesus told Nicodemus this morning. That God loves the world so much that God would give the Son. Jesus tells us that God's love will not remain apart from human frailty and human brokenness and pain and even human sinfulness. This passage that we love so much is 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 talking about in the context 
where Jesus says being, about being lifted up. And we know how Jesus was lifted up. He was lifted up by being nailed to a cross to face the most degrading and painful death of all. The great and powerful God loves and cares so much for us as to be willing to suffer and die to show the depth of that love. And then to be raised from the dead in order to give us the promise of new life every day and continue that promise with the gift of the Spirit, assuring us that we are indeed the sons and daughters of God, children of God, heirs with Christ. But you know, even when we profess that that's what we believe, there's still a huge element of mystery to it. We still have trouble explaining it and understanding it. And so maybe it would be best if we would do what Jesus did and turn to stories. Because stories have a way of helping us to unpack the mystery and see ourselves in the midst of that tale and understand what that mystery is all about for us. So here is one such story. Something wonderful and magical really did happen one day in Cinderella's castle in Disney World. Parents and their children were crowded together into a room awaiting Cinderella's arrival and suddenly she burst through the door and made a dramatic entrance. And the children all clamored and rushed toward her. Whoever hired this young woman to, to play the role of Cinderella made a perfect choice. She was beautiful. Flawless skin radiant hair, bright eyes and a bright smile, a glorious, exquisite costume. It's as if Cinderella, the character Cinderella, had actually come to life. All the children gathered around her and reached out toward her, wanting her to touch them as if to give them a blessing. And the whole room was filled with excitement and electricity. except for two boys who stood together at a distance against the wall. Obviously, they were brothers. And the older brother held the hand of the younger and much smaller brother whose face and body was severely disfigured. The look in the eyes of that young boy was one of yearning how much he longed to be able to be close to Cinderella, to be like the other children, and to know the excitement that they had. He wanted to be part of the crowd, but he, but he held back, possibly out of fear. Perhaps he had been hurt too many times by children that just don't understand. 
but then unexpectedly. Cinderella turned and saw the boys, and she must have noticed the longing in that little one's eyes because she slowly began to make her way through the throng and inch toward him. Then something wonderful happened. Cinderella did the, the most remarkable thing. She leaned over and kissed him. I'm sure that's not something that she learned in Cinderella training class. But it was remarkable. She kissed him. And a huge smile broke across his face and gladness entered his eyes. Could anything be so wonderful? No matter what happens to him from now on, every time he looks into the mirror, he will see the face that Cinderella kissed looking back. And who knows? For weeks, for months, maybe forever, he will be able to stand a little taller and feel a little bit more special because of that day that Cinderella kissed him. My friends, that is who God chooses to be for us. I believe for all of God's awesomeness and all of God's holiness, the most remarkable thing about God is his desire to be close to us even at the cost of his power and glory. We are all God's children. We're the jewel of creation, and yet, so often, we live lives full of yearning. Disfigured lives that are broken, that don't measure up. We feel hurt by others who don't understand us and don't really want to. We feel cut off and separated. But God turns to us and sees us. God makes his way to us. And with a love that is greater than any love ever known, he kisses us with grace. We are always able to make gods of our own choosing, and so often we do. But the gods we create are so small and so weak compared to the God who created us. The God who loves us totally. The God who promises to be with us every moment of our lives to assure us that we are God's own children. There is so much about life that is baffling, inexplicable, causes us to have a mind explosion. By the way, the answer to the seven-year-old's question is atoms cannot see subatomic particles. Just thought I'd let you know. Didn't want to leave you hanging. But when we start talking about God, 
when we start thinking about the Holy Trinity, that too is pretty tough to understand. Probably we come like Nicodemus with more questions and confusion than we do than we have answers. And maybe our experience or lack of it keeps us from drawing close. But the good news for us today is that we do not have to explain it or understand it to be part of the family. Adopted, loved, held close by our triune God, kissed by grace, by the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.